Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 19. Jacob's dream at Bethel. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, and 36 to 43. The parable of weeds among the wheat. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. 
the weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers and they will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. Where do you go to meet God? By which I mean, are there particular places which help you meet with God? For some of us, nature helps us worship. My husband loves climbing mountains. And he often quotes John Muir at me. I'd rather be in the mountains thinking about God than in church thinking about the mountains. For others of us, it's a particular thin place. The term thin place comes from Celtic Christianity and describes places where the ancient Christians thought that the gap between heaven and earth was smaller than usual. A thin place might be somewhere like the island of Iona, where generations of Christians have worshipped God amongst the beauty and the splendour of the Atlantic seaboard. Or it could simply be the place in your home where you read God's word each day. Or it could be a place in your life that became significant because God spoke to you particularly clearly there. And now when you return, the memory of that time helps you to draw close to God again. The rock I'm sitting on today is such a place for me. But for many of us, church is our thin place. It could be the architecture, the quiet, or the separation from the hustle and bustle of the everyday that helps us to forget ourselves and draw close to God. It could be the people, the fellowship, the sense of communion with one another, and Christ that comes when we share bread and wine. It could be the worship, the music, the prayers, the liturgy, or even the sermon. That's why not being allowed to meet in church for the past few months has been so difficult for so many. Jacob certainly would have understood the concept of a thin place, because just outside a town called Luz, there was such a place for him. According to which Bible translation you're reading, the place where he stopped to sleep was a certain place, or a holy place, or a good place to stop or camp. Actually, it's just one word meaning place, but imagine it 
with a capital P because this word is often used to describe a special or a sacred place. Now Jacob, as we heard last week, did not have a good relationship with his brother. In fact, he made Esau hate him so much he wanted to kill him. So Isaac and Rebekah packed him off in a hurry, sending him to her family 550 miles away so that he would be out of harm's way. We pick up the story when Jacob's 60 miles from home, several days walk, finally far enough away from Esau that he can risk stopping for the night. 60 miles is probably the furthest Jacob's ever been from home. Ironically, Esau would have been fine with an extended trip like this. He liked hunting. He was strong, impulsive. He was what some would call a man's man. He was certainly his father's man. But Jacob, well, he's a home bird, great at cooking, and his mother's favorite. Over the next couple of weeks, we will discover that he's a great shepherd too, hard-working, fantastic husband material, in fact. But that's all in the future. This day, this moment, must be the worst moment of his life. He's got no idea that this is a special place, and maybe until this moment, when he's utterly at the end of himself, it hasn't been. And finally asleep, with a stone for a pillow, he dreams of a stairway to heaven. The word translated ladder, or stairway, or ramp, is only used once in the Bible, which is always a problem for translators. The word has two aspects to it. It means some sort of roadway, and also something that is going up. Some people think it is describing something like a ziggurat, which is a type of Mesopotamian temple. These were huge terrace structures with staircases that went all the way up to the top where there was a temple. A bit like these steps go up the outside of my rock. Ziggurats were built to try to get closer to the heavens and to provide places for the gods to live in and be worshipped. But in Jacob's dream, he doesn't have to climb up the stairway to get to God. God is standing right by it, or by Jacob. It's not actually clear which. The point is, God is there in person, talking to Jacob. Now this is the first time we see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob mentioned in the same breath, as God tells Jacob he is the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. It's also the first time we ever hear about Jacob meeting God, thinking about God, even recognizing God exists. And it's a pretty amazing meeting. God makes the same promise to Jacob as he has made to Abraham and Isaac. Jacob will be the father of a great nation. 
this land where he is sleeping will be their land. And Jacob's children will in turn bless the whole world. All the families of the earth shall be blessed through your offspring. And then Jacob wakes up. He's in shock. He's really quite freaked out. He's definitely in awe of this God. He leaps up, grabs his stone pillow and upends it to mark the spot. He anoints the pillow pillow with oil to mark it as a special place and he gives it a new name, a name that describes how he feels in that place. This is the house of God, Beth El, he declares. And then he does something that is deeply significant, although it gets missed out of this week's reading, and it isn't in next week's either. He continues on his journey. If you were reading this in the King James Version, you may spot that in the footnote it says that the phrase literally translate, translates as, he lifted up his feet. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it seems to me that he's no longer fleeing. He is walking with purpose. Why? Because God doesn't just promise Jacob wonderful things for his children and his children's children long in the future. He also promises Jacob that he would go with him from this day forward, from this place, and he will not leave him until everything he has promised comes to pass. Which, as some of the things promised are to continue after Jacob's death, means for the rest of his life. Jacob arrived at this place a fugitive, but he leaves it a pilgrim with God at his side. And from here on, he walks with God through many years, trials and sorrows, but also joys and reconciliations. Many years later, he will return to Bethel to fulfill the vow he makes today. He will get rid of all his extended family's idols and commit his entire household and all his descendants to worship the one true God. It is here at Bethel that God will give him the name Israel. And later still, at the very end, he draws his feet up into his bed and breathes his last, a pilgrim to the end of his days. We are called, like Jacob, to pick up our feet and be pilgrims, to walk with God for our whole lives. The story of Jacob is not that God meets pilgrims at thin places, but that God meets us where we are, when we need him most, when we are utterly at the end of ourselves. When Jacob is at his lowest point, God makes a covenant with him, a never-ending, unbreakable promise that his family will bless all nations, all people, all the families of the world. 
and he gives him this picture of a stairway or a ziggurat or a bridge between heaven and earth so that he understands that God is not remote but by his side. Of course, there is someone else who is a bridge between heaven and earth. An offspring of Jacob who blesses the whole world by dying on a cross who by dying takes away all our sin, all our deceit, all our fear and desperation and allows us to step into God's holy presence in awe and worship, yes, but with confidence. His name is Jesus. You see, we don't actually need a thin place to meet God. He comes to meet us in Jesus the thinnest of all thin places, God and man in one person. And just as God promises Jacob he will stay with him for the rest of his days, Jesus promises his disciples that he will always be with them, with us, until the end of the age, through the Holy Spirit living in us. We may be called to be pilgrims, but we are not expected to travel alone. And that is some considerable consolation in these peculiar times when we cannot meet and worship together the way we usually do. I'll close with a couple of lines from the Gaelic scholar and Church of Scotland minister, Alistair MacLean. I find them challenging and inspirational in equal measure. I find thee enthroned in my heart, my Lord Jesus. It is enough. I know that thou art throned in heaven. My heart and heaven are one. I pray for myself and each one of us that our hearts are so close to our Lord's that it's almost as if they are the gate of heaven, the very house of God. May we in turn be thin places ourselves so that others can meet God in and through us. Amen.
O Lord, we come to you to pray for our world. As it says in Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please you. For he who comes to you must believe that you are and that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So Lord, we come to you believing in who you are and seeking your will and blessing on our world. O Lord, we come to you, God, who is able to make all grace abound toward us, that we, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. O Lord, we come to you, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. O Lord, we come to you, who count the hairs on our heads and who number our days before a single one comes to pass. We pray for lives to be spared around the world from COVID-19, that the number of days you have written in your book for each person will all come to pass. O Lord, we come to you, who are the creator of all things. We pray for your power to create solutions to the problems of our world. O Lord, we come to you, who are peace. We pray for those who are anxious or in fear. O Lord, may you bring your peace to all, the peace that surpasses understanding. O Lord, we come to you, our provider. We pray for your provision for those who are suffering financially, who may have lost their job. O Lord, may you cause new jobs to be created that will bring fulfilment. O Lord, we come to you, our healer. We pray that your healing power will be for all who are sick. O Lord, may you cause new medicines and cures to arise that will bring healing. O Lord, we come to you who guide we pray for your guidance and wisdom for our Queen and for all those in authority in all spheres of life, in government, in business, in education, in medicine, those working hard to find a COVID-19 vaccine. Lord, we pray for those in the media, in entertainment, in sport, Lord, in all spheres of life. We pray for your blessing, Lord. Lord, we pray for your blessing on your church, for all Christian leaders. Lord, we pray for your blessing on Tim, Jenny and Judith. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.